Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jackie. Those people that I heard with gusto saying good morning. Gusto is not required, but it is appreciated and encouraged. Yes, absolutely. Um, welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. My name is Trace, um, as you can tell by the name tag. It does help. I mean, how many are fans of the name tag? Okay, the, for the three of you that actually pay attention, the rest of you, you have great memories, and you know everybody's name without even thinking twice, and there's no, hey, buddy, hey, guy, hey, pal, brother, sport, sister, whatever it is. So it's Big Sunday, which is why we have these name tags, but more than that, Big Sunday is the time where we invite our Treehouse members in with us. So if you didn't know, Treehouse is those that are in kindergarten through fifth grade, and most weeks of the month they are back in their own classroom, but we find that it's important that we gather with them so that, one, they understand that church is for them too, right? Big church, as we call it, or grown-up church, or whatever you want to title it. Young people need to know what it's like to be in church. And older people, which is the rest of you, need to know what it's like to welcome them into the church. I think one of the reasons why so many leave home and walk away from the church is because they don't know how to belong because they were never given the opportunity to belong to the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ together, birth through the oldest person in the room, right? Wow. Okay. Sorry. I'm encouraged that you guys are here, Treehousers. So I'm really encouraged that you're here. Welcome, Treehouse. Love you guys, okay? If you don't have one of the sheets to take notes on, I believe there are a few more back in the back. So by all means, grab one of those. All right, I'm excited. We have a new series that we're in this morning. We're beginning, it's actually a nine-week series, which will take us up to Christmas Eve. So yes, Christmas is actually less than nine weeks because the eighth one is on Sunday and then Christmas Eve is on Tuesday, I think. So it's actually just nine, eight weeks and a couple of days. That's how far away Christmas is from us. It's right around the corner. So we're going to jump right in because I've got a lot to say and we've got a lot to do today, but I want to ask for the Lord's help because we absolutely need that. So would you join me in praying? Father, we just thank you, Lord. I thank you for the gathering of your people. Lord, just hearing the voices raised up together in unity. What a picture of the body of Christ and how you designed us, Lord, to be in fellowship, to be in community, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for uh, the fact that you have brought us all together. Lord God, unite us as we seek to know you and make you known, as we do the work of the ministry that you've called us to in this season, in this place. God, and as we enter into this new series, as we look to your word to help guide us and shape us and bring life and hope and joy, Lord, prepare our hearts, our minds. God, help us to know that when we sit under the teaching of the word, that's one aspect of this, Lord God, but we need to go home and we need to study it out. We need to know with greater clarity and with purpose who we are in you because of what your word tells us, Lord. So give us that. Give us the strength. Set aside all distractions. I thank you. Speak through me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. If you have questions uh, along the way this morning, you can text them to that number that's on the screen. That is also the same number in your bulletin. So we do a little Q&A toward the end of the service, and we can answer some of those questions if you have any, just a way for us to interact. 
All right, so what is this new series? Obviously, something about being more like him. Who do you think the him is? Jesus, that's a good guess. <clears throat> Probably not a guess for most of you, no. More like him, right? Absolutely. So we're going to look at a few different things in this series. Um, one is, I'm going to explore, particularly this morning, what is the fruit of the Spirit? How many are familiar with the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, not a banana, right? It's not an orange, it's not grapes. There's a song from Kids Games, it's not a coconut, right? My wife told me I should have played the song this morning, um, but I didn't. If you were at the Kids Games, you would know what that is. Yeah, we could have all done it. But I missed an opportunity. What is the fruit of the Spirit? That's one of the questions we're going to ask and answer. What does it look like in Jesus' life as an example of that fruit? How can we look to Jesus to see an example in his life of that fruit? And then what does it look like for us to bear that fruit in our own lives? So that's essentially what we're doing. Why? Because our desire should to be to be more like him and less like our old sinful self, right? Just briefly, before we jump in any further, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is in the Spirit. So we are being transformed more into the image and likeness of Christ all the days that we're here loving and serving, at least that's the goal. That's the design. That's how we should be living our Christian faith. So we desire to be more like him and less like us. <clears throat> and in fact, as you can see, that's what we're calling this series. Why nine weeks? Well, if we're going to explore the fruit of the Spirit, how many fruits or fruit of the Spirit do you think there are? How many actually knew that and just didn't take my cue? Yeah. A couple of you knew that. That's okay. Yes, there are nine, anyway, attributes. We'll get into the fruit, fruits kind of thing or what all that means. But we want to cultivate. How many farmers in the room? Any farmers? Not really. A couple gardeners, maybe. People like to be in the dirt, right? We cultivate. We prepare the soil so that stuff grows, right? You can't just go throw seed into your backyard and hope that it grows. It might but if you take the time to cultivate the land, you prepare it, you mix in good soil, right? You get it prepared. Then when you put the seed, you, you see a greater success rate for, for growth. And so we want to cultivate and grow in such ways that we're going to bear much fruit. John talks about that. We read it in our scripture, right? That you would bear not just fruit, much fruit. And we can do this by abiding in Jesus by knowing what he is like and seeking to embrace the fact that, church, we are new creations in Christ. We are. And we should have new desires and new ways of seeking to bring him glory and not ourselves. So practically speaking, what does all that mean? There are nine characteristics, attributes, marks, whatever you want to call them, described as fruit of the Spirit, and we want to have those things in our own lives. We want to have lives marked by these things. So let's start by asking those questions one more time. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Why is it important? What does it look like in the life of Jesus? 
So I'm going to read from Galatians 5 and sort of give us a framework to answer these questions. We're going to look at Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. Here's what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Is there one more? It lies. That's all right. We'll stop there. That's good. All right. So the first question, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, look at verse 22. If you have your Bible, you can look down there or you can just remember what it said. The word used for fruit of the Spirit, singular or plural? I mean, just, just look at it or maybe some recall there. Is it singular or plural? Okay, singular means there's no S on the end. Plural means that there's an S on the end. Can you pull up verse 22 real quick? I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. But the fruit, singular or plural? Okay, still not convinced that you know <clears throat> what singular and plural is, but that's okay. It is singular, as if to say that these items are inseparable, right? They're a package deal, or they're multiple ways of describing one thing, right? You can't say, well, I have this fruit, but I don't have this fruit, or I'm really good at this fruit, but I really need this fruit, right? They're all together. They are all things that come as a package. The fruit of the Spirit are evidences. It's proof in our life that we're living a life that's guided and shaped by who? The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, right? Our lives are shaped and guided by the Holy Spirit contrary to our old nature, right? A different path that we're taking. And it's an indication that we're doing four things. We saw four things here having to do with the Spirit. That we're walking by the Spirit. We're being led by the Spirit. We're living by the Spirit. And we're keeping in step with the Spirit. You think something is going on here with Paul trying to tell us about our involvement with the Spirit? Walking, being led, living by, keeping in step with. These things are important and significant. And also, if you get down into the kind of the, the grammar of things, the verb tenses of these things, of walking and stepping and all these things, are ongoing. Right? It's not just do it once and you're good. It's a constant, steady way of living our lives. That's how we see these things happening. <clears throat> So without going into detail with each of these nine attributes individually, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's evidence in our life that we're actually being shaped by the Spirit, and the way that we live our lives produces love, 
and joy and peace and patience and so on. You see what I'm saying? Right? So that's a basic answer of what is the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's evidence that we're living a life shaped by the Spirit. So that kind of leads us into a partial answer of the next question that we're going to ask, which is where did the fruit come from? Well, it comes from the work of the Holy Spirit, correct? Can you manufacture it on your own? Can you just kind of will love to come out of you? I'm, by the lack of nose, I'm thinking maybe some of you think you can. You can't. I'm just here to tell you, you cannot manufacture it. You can fake it for a while, but it will not last. Think about a natural tree. What is required of a tree to produce fruit? Life, right? It has to be alive in order... You ever see a dead tree produce fruit? I have not. I don't think you have either, right? It takes life. Now think about the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. Where do you think the life comes from? What's the life source of that fruit being born out of us? The life of the Spirit within us, right? So there's a lot of parallels here that we make to the natural world. I don't want us to lose sight of that. The fruit of the Spirit is born out of the life of the Spirit within our own bodies. So He's at work. He's cultivating our hearts. He's preparing us to bear that fruit through our obedience, through our surrender to Him, to our walking, living, keeping in step with, all those things that we talked about. So that's the source, right? So that's what is it? What's the source? And the third question, and it kind of seems like an obvious answer, and I suppose that kind of, in a way it is, but why is the fruit of the Spirit important? Why is the fruit of the Spirit important? Well, the obvious answer is, of course, because we're supposed to grow and mature in Christians, and, and we should see this as evidence in our lives. If we don't, then there's probably something that we're missing, right? It's a significant part of our lives as Christians. <clears throat> and the biblical way that we're supposed to do this is by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to consider also verse 17. Can you pull up verse 17? Is that possible? I know I'm throwing you all over the place, Chase. Was that in there? Okay. Here's also why the fruit of the Spirit is significant. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit... And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So the things that we want to do in this case are being obedient to Christ. Like we want to do these things. We have a desire to do them. But sometimes we're kept from doing them by what? Our flesh. So if you look back a few verses, you're going to look at how Paul explains that Flesh is not just like the skin on our body. So for maybe some of you um, treehouse folk, you're thinking flesh, you're like, oh, is it this? Like, this is what's keeping me from, from doing these things? And in a sense, kind of. But it's also inclusive of our mind, our will, and our emotions, the things that sometimes make our decisions for us. Right? I really want to do that, and I don't care. What anybody else says or what the Bible says, I want that. Like our desires for that. It's our will, our mind, and emotions, as well as the physical body. So when he says flesh, that's what he means. In fact, uh, one scholar says that the flesh was Paul's term for everything aside from God in which one placed his final trust. Right? So Paul's working really hard 
to make the point here that a battle is going on every day. In fact, probably for most of us, multiple times a day, there's that tension between the things that we know we should be doing. There's a balloon. It's attacking the fan. It's okay. There is a, there's a tension in the fans. He's going over there. Turn it off. It's okay. Everybody look at the fan. Everybody look at the fan. Okay. Oh, boy. <clears throat> About 10 seconds left. That's right. It's a good place to kind of just take a breath and think about what's happening. All right, now think about this. Constant tension between the things that we know we want to do and the things that our flesh, our will, our emotions. How many of you are familiar with that tension in your own life? Like, seriously, I want to see your hand in the air if you're familiar with that tension. Because if you're not, then we've got a problem. If there's not a tension in your life between these things, guess what? Something's missing, and the flesh is not missing in any of us. I'm just saying. The things that God wants of us and the sinful things that we want, that's the tension. In fact, Paul gives us a personal example. I'm not going to go into it right now, but if you write down Romans 7, 15 to 19, you can go back and read that. I'm going to move beyond that right now. Essentially what he's saying is, this is Paul, writer of most of the New Testament, right? I know the things that I want to do, and I really, 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 really want to do them. That's kind of his language, but I don't do it. I do the things that I hate. That's Paul saying, explaining that battle, that tension. We all face it every day. So the fruit of the Spirit is important because if we are not desiring these things, if we don't want the Holy Spirit to cultivate us and to shape us and to produce these things, then there's only one other option. Satisfying our sinful desires. It's not a both and. Right? You can't have the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit together. It's one or the other. Right? You can't make them both work. But here's the thing. Both paths to the flesh and to the Spirit, they both produce fruit. One is the fruit of the Spirit. One is the works of the flesh that Paul gave a partial list of that was pretty rough. Did you read those? Remember that? Envy, strife, fits of rage, enmity, all those things. That is also fruit. So the question is, what kind of fruit do you want to produce? That's a decision that we all need to make. Every day, in fact. All right, so the last thing I'll say on the fruit of the Spirit in general before we tackle that first attribute quickly is, well, I'm just going to ask the question because I like interaction. I'm going to give this um, to the treehousers. So if you're a treehouse, I want your guys in the answer. Does an apple tree make fruit for itself? No? What does an apple tree make fruit for? For us, like for other people, Right? It produces fruit so that somebody else is the beneficiary of that. So if you apply that into your spiritual fruit of the Spirit, do you think that our desire is to grow and bear that fruit of the Spirit for ourselves? No. Who's it for? For other people. That's right. It's for other people. So we need to keep that in mind. 
right? I'm not bearing fruit of love so that I can go, look at what I did. Man, I am awesome. Look, I'm just going to take this love. I'm going to be like, yes, miss me and the fruit of the Spirit. No, that's not the way that it works. So just keep that in mind. We don't bear fruit for ourselves. We play our part, right? We do play our part. Those four things I talked about, living by the Spirit, keeping a step with the Spirit, we have to do those things in order to position ourselves, but you get what I'm saying. All right, so now we know a little bit more about the fruit of the Spirit. I think we, we've got some key questions answered, so let's kind of move into the heart of what we're talking about in this series. How do we see Jesus as an example of these fruits of the Spirit that I'll explain right here? So what's the first one in... Uh, Galatians 5.22, love. You think it's a happenstance, a mistake, just kind of a happy coincidence that he started with love? Or is there a reason why? <clears throat> There's a reason. One commentator said this. He said, Paul might well have placed a period after love and moved on to the conclusion of his letter, for love is not merely the first among equals in this listing, but rather the source and fountain from which all other graces flow. Right? Love is the foundation. In fact, some people look at the way the fruit of the Spirit is described as singular, as love being the one that is the fruit, and that everything else is just kind of an extension or expansion of those things. So it is absolutely the foundation of everything that we do. In fact, it's the foundation of our salvation, is it not? Think about John 3.16. Somebody give it to me. For God so loved the world. It's the motivation for His desire to want to rescue us. Love is significant, and we know that, right? How about the, uh, the love chapter? Anybody know what the love chapter is? 1 Corinthians 13. And we know that love is patient, love is kind, and we see it at weddings and all that stuff. But what about the first three verses? Let's look at those. This is what precedes that. 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and he's going to build on these awesome things that he's doing, speaking in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So essentially he's saying, if I had everything in the world, I knew everything and I could do everything, and I didn't have love, I had nothing. And then he goes into kind of describing some of the things of love. But that's, that's powerful. I mean, that is some, some interesting things that he chooses to highlight. But what does love look like, practically speaking? I think all of us are in agreement that love is important. It's an essential part of what we're doing. But in our day-to-day, -day, what does it look like? Kind of the question I want to answer. So if you think about Jesus, his life on this planet, you could probably choose any number of examples in the way that Jesus demonstrated love, couldn't we? I mean, we could, we could choose a lot of different things. And so as we go through this series, as the different 
elders, pastors come up here and, and highlight each one of these attributes, just know that you could go a lot of different directions with how Jesus demonstrated gentleness, patience, joy. So for love, we're going to briefly look at the example in the way that Jesus loves his enemies, a.k.a. difficult people, those who don't mesh with us, right? We don't think just enemies like that person is my nemesis. Just people that are difficult, people that you don't like to hang out with. So why did I choose this? Because I think it ties directly into the Great Commission, and I think it pushes us in an uncomfortable direction. Now, believe it or not, love is not always meant to be easy and comfortable. Even loving the people that you like to be around is difficult sometimes, right? Right? Yeah, don't look at your wife and like, can I shake my head? Like, I'll tell it for you. It's difficult to love the people that we like, let alone being called to love the people that we don't necessarily enjoy being around. So let's look at love through the lens of Jesus' command for us to love difficult people. So I think we are starting in a deficit in our culture today because we're in sort of what I would call the, um, an unfriend-friendly society. What do I mean by that? So a lot of us are on social media. Most of us probably, I would say, have some experience in social media, right? And oftentimes you share your feelings and your thoughts on different topics. And then somebody will come along and disagree with you and write it on there. And you're like, how dare they? Like, don't hijack my beautifully crafted post. And now you're taking it some different, you're like getting upset. And then they write something else and you're getting more upset. And you're just getting angry and angry and angry. And then all of a sudden it's like, boop, block, bloop unfriend. Problem solved. Don't have to deal with them anymore, right? That's the society we live in. It really is. And those of you that aren't like super in the uh, social media world, everybody else younger than you is, right? The generation coming up, that's their life. So think about that as your training. Oh, it's hard to get along with that person? Just block them. Don't worry about it. You don't ever have to talk to anybody in person, right? That's the culture we live in. So I think we're already up against some difficulties. But when you click that button, is the problem really solved? Or is it a missed opportunity to demonstrate love as God designed it? <clears throat> now, before you get all crazy on me and try to explain to me how mean and hurtful people are, I get it, right? I understand. So I'm not offering this as a blanket like, you have to love every single person that you ever came in contact with or you're a failure, right? We got to have some wisdom here, all right? We are sinful, broken people, are we not? And sometimes the best thing for us to do is run the other direction from that person who's trying to provoke us, right? And pray and trust that somebody else will be able to demonstrate the love of Christ to them, all right? So wisdom, right? Use a little bit of discretion, when we are up against these difficult people. Not every situation is an opportunity to try to love somebody. Again, we just got to be wise about that. The Lord will use somebody else that's maybe a little more patient or isn't as ignited by whatever that thing is that's causing you 
to have such raw emotion toward them. But here's the thing about this love. It should really reveal to us how much we do need Jesus to live like this. Right? It should be very evident to us that we cannot and will not love our enemies without being surrendered to God and without fully understanding, as much as we're able to, what the love of Christ looks like to us. Like, that has to be our foundation. That's what we expose the rest of the world to, is that kind of love. So, just briefly, um, Jesus' teaching on this comes from Matthew 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, I think we probably hit this, gosh, maybe before summer. So, I want to just read it again briefly. Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. He said, you've heard it said, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what rewards do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that's the idea of loving the people that are easy to love. That's, that's, everybody does that. Like, come on. As Mike would say, that's Bush League, right? Come on. We're talking about difficult people. People that are diametrically opposed to what you believe and what you stand for. That's what we're talking about. That kind of people. It pushes the boundaries, as I mentioned earlier, of where love should take us. And so what's a good example of this? Jesus is loving in this way. I'm just going to go with um, the woman at the well. How many are familiar with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman there at the well, John 4? Some of you in the Friday Night Life group at the Martins have been going through John. You probably spent some time talking about this. <clears throat> so here's kind of a brief thing. Um, Jesus is at a well. And he's thirsty, right? And this Samaritan woman comes along with the means to get water from the well, and Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Now, this, to us, probably isn't that big of a deal. It's like, yeah, whatever. Somebody's thirsty, they have a little interaction, they get some water. But in this day and age, this was unheard of. This Samaritan woman even asked, like, why are you talking to me? She was shocked that this Jewish man would be talking to the Samaritan. That just didn't happen. It was, in fact, probably borderline crazy. Like, you would go out of your way to avoid having these conversations. Yet here was Jesus, unafraid what people might think or what they might do, because he knew that he was called to love all people enough to push beyond cultural boundaries and difficult, uncomfortable situations. And that's really important, I think, for us to grab hold of. Loving difficult or marginalized people will always require us to go beyond our comfort zones. But it can make a kingdom impact. Like the whole reason God calls us to demonstrate this kind of love is because it's opposite of everything else that the world would have you to do. Right? It's... It's not celebrated, but it's understandable. Like, oh, that person did that to you? Well, yeah, just cut them off. 
Some people say, oh, a family member did that to you? Just cut them off. Just get them out of here. Like, that's normal in a lot of people's lives. So to come at this from a different kind of love is shockingly different. Talk about a just incredible testimony of God's love. Would it not just cause somebody to go straight to the question, like, why are you like this? Like, don't you know how everybody else is? Why are you like this? Well, let me tell you why. It immediately opens the door for a conversation of what God has done in your life. That's why this is such a powerful demonstration of love and the fruit of that spirit working in us. It's the kind of love here that goes beyond our own selves and is for the benefit of others, right? We, we talked about that already, and the fruit doesn't bear fruit for itself. The tree does not. So what is the fruit of this particular interaction? Some of you that know the story, um, what was the result of Jesus loving this person? Let's look at John 4. Let's just get an idea of what happened here. <clears throat> this is after he was at the well, shared the love of, of the Father with her, and it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many Samaritans believed because of this interaction with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Of her testimony, he said, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So by loving this person who was unlovable in the culture's sense, Jesus opens the door to this opportunity to share the love of the Father and the love of Christ with them that otherwise would have remained shut. That's the fruit. That's the, the end game of pushing the boundaries of love and loving your enemies. It's shown a variety of ways love is, right? Inside and outside the church, people show love in sometimes some weird ways. Um, some people just don't know how to express love. So my challenge to you today is to love the way that Jesus showed us by loving difficult people, loving people that you might consider your enemies or even the marginalized, people that are just plain hard to love. For the sake of the gospel and not ourselves. That's the love that we see manifesting through the work of the Spirit. Why is this difficult? Because we are selfish by nature, and we want to be comfortable. We do. And all of these things that we're going to look at over the next nine weeks are going to push us beyond that, because it's the work of the Spirit in our lives that's pushing against the work of our flesh. But we have to let go of the reins. It's like, all right, Lord, you got this. I don't want to be in control anymore. I don't want to consistently give in to the desires of my flesh. Do the work in me. Cultivate my heart. Help me to crucify the flesh every single day. So ask yourself, as we're kind of wrapping up here, what is it in your own life, in your heart right now, that needs to be cultivated? What needs to be shaped 
and prepared in your life so that you can grow this kind of fruit? Is it pride? Is pride getting in the way of the Spirit doing the work in your life? Is it unbelief? Self-reliance? Maybe you have prejudices that you're just not going to talk to that person because you've got a problem with them just because of who they are. Is it a fear of man? I can't talk to that person. I'm worried about what people would think of me if I went and talked to that person. I'm sure Jesus entertained that thought. What are people going to think if I talk to this Samaritan woman? And if he didn't, that opportunity missed for an entire village, it seemed, though, to receive the love of Christ. Maybe it's just laziness. Whatever it is, the work of the Holy Spirit within us, along with our willingness to keep in step with the Spirit, it's going to position us to bear this kind of fruit. So it's going to be challenging. But we need to be challenged. We need to be constantly stretched, willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in us that only He can do. Would you agree with me on that? Okay. So we're going we're gonna to spend the next several weeks looking at each one of these. And I would encourage you, just keep looking through Galatians chapter 5, starting around verse 16, and just kind of read through that periodically to remind yourself of the ongoing battle, first of all, that list of the, the fruit of the, the, the flesh, or the results, the desires of the flesh. Just remind yourself of that constant battle. And then look at that Romans 7 chapter 2 with, with Paul giving a little bit more battle on that, because that's what we're up against. As we talk about each one of these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, know that there's something in us that's fighting against producing that kind of fruit, and we need to push beyond that and, and overcome through the work of the Spirit by the strength of the Spirit. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the fact that we can...